This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 1. We are going to be in a new series that's going to go for a while. Uh, We're going to work through Ecclesiastes, all 12 chapters. Okay, the first service was like, uh, okay, listen, uh, we're going to do four weeks, we're going to pause for Christmas, and uh, then we're going to do a series called What Child Is This? Pick back up, and we will be back in summer. I saw how excited he was for summer. Uh, We're going to pick it back up in January and take it through uh, the end of February. I love this book uh, of the Bible. It deals with the realities of life and how you and I uh, work through them. And uh, today we're talking about life under the sun. And there's two words that we want to take with us through this great book, throughout all of our time studying it. And it's the word, first of all, pursuit. What are you pursuing? Everybody in here is pursuing something. Some of you are pursuing a degree right now. Some of you are pursuing that job. Others are pursuing a guy or a girl. Uh, You're pursuing marriage. Uh, Some are pursuing retirement. Okay, uh, everybody's pursuing something, but we can't just talk about pursuit. We also have to talk about purpose. Because we're going to see today this idea that meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Welcome to Woodland Hills Family Church. We're glad you're here. Because you're going to go, what are we doing? This seems dark, pessimistic, fatalistic. No, no, no. This book is about gladness and joy. If you get pursuit and purpose right. If you understand nothing wrong with a job, nothing wrong with the degree, nothing wrong with the relationship, nothing wrong with retirement, but if that's your end in mind, big problems. Big problems. You know, you're going to be completely and totally empty at the end of it. If your end in mind is you, if my end in mind is me, complete and total waste of time. I want Christ to be my pursuit, and when Christ is my pursuit, He brings purpose, meaning to everything I do in life. Every relationship, every job, the bank account, how I, how I earn money, save money, spend money, uh, to how I eat and drink. If Christ is my pursuit and purpose, there's meaning in all of that. There's uh, three phrases we're going to see repeated in this book, uh, and I want us to understand them so when they pop up, we're going to immediately know the context. Everything is meaningless. The idea here is utter emptiness without God. Utter emptiness without God. Not to go to the end of the book, but in chapter 12, here we go. Uh, Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. When He is the source of our worship, the end in mind, We fear and worship Him. We rejoice in the good gifts that we have in life. And that brings gladness to heart, which you're going to see over a dozen times in this book, and joy. Under the sun, we talk at this church a lot about uh, around the sun. So when someone celebrates a birthday in our family, we always go, congratulations on another trip around the sun, because that's one year. Uh, Here's to your next trip around the sun. Well, under the sun in Ecclesiastes means life upon this earth. We're going to see the burden that has been laid upon man with life under the sun. And then the chasing after the wind. I love this. Doesn't this sound like a Garth Brooks album right here? I don't know. Uh, Chasing after the wind is this idea that we put so much energy into something and at the end of it it's like, hmm, that's not really what I thought it would be. Can anybody relate to that? 
I, I really, man, I thought the job, once I hit that promotion and got there, I was going to be totally fulfilled. You're in it for two weeks and you're like, ugh. Not at all what I thought it was going to be. I hear this a lot from people that retire to Branson. Like, man, they work 30, 40 years. They get here. They're at Treasure Lake. They're having a ball, right? But after about two months, they're like, this, there's more to this. It's not just, you're like, nope. It's just as it. It's all it is. We're just in chapter one, so pipe down, Ron. Uh, but I, I've talked to the folks, man, I've golfed, I've fished, I've golfed, I've fished, I've golfed, I've fished. So there's got to be something more. Well, golfing, fishing, that's great. It's not an end in mind. We can enjoy that. Some of, some of you, man, you've worked your whole life. You couldn't wait for that European vacation. Now you finally have the bucks to put it together. You're on a boat in Italy, and this is how you enjoy the entire boat ride. It's never quite what you thought it would be. Or you've saved some money and you're finally able to get that Lamborghini. But now you're at an age, you can't get in and out of that Lamborghini. Check this out. This is my favorite video on the web right now. to pursue something, you get it, and it's not what you thought it would be. So here's the reality we're going to start with in chapter 1. If a degree, job, house, money, pleasure, or making a name for myself, we're going to see that a lot through this great book, is my end in mind, I am completely wasting my life. Now, I don't want the students in here to go, do you hear that, Mom? <laughs> do you hear that, Dad? That's a lot of money. That's a waste. No, no, no. If that's your end in mind, it's a waste. I had a friend text me the other day. I thought he was joking, but then I realized, oh, he's serious. He just texted me, what's my purpose in life? And I'm like, this is a lot for a text. Like, uh, should we get together for this? How's everything going? What happened? Uh, he goes, no, no, someone just asked me, what's the meaning of life and what's the purpose of life? And, and he goes, can you give it to me in one sentence? Can you? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I quoted the Westminster Catechism. I said this, here's my purpose in life. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that, when that's your end in mind, fearing God, keeping His commandments, the worship of our Father in heaven, it brings purpose to the job and meaning. Pursuing Christ gives purpose to my education, my job, my possessions. There's nothing wrong. Listen, money is not evil. It's the love of money. Right? It's the pursuit of money with that as the end in mind. But when you are a steward of the resources, the possessions, the money that you have and understand, you're just a manager of what God has given you. They're not for your chief end. They are to glorify God. It changes everything about how you pursue life and how you walk through life. Your accomplishments and your relationships. In Colossians 1.16, we read, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Pastor Rick Warren summarizes and gives uh, his uh, commentary of this verse simply by saying, you were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. And that's why some in here, have you've been pursuing something, you've thrown everything into it. That exerting of energy, that chasing after the wind idea, you've thrown so much into it, you've poured yourself into it to get to the end and be like, I expected so much more. I expected the feeling would be different or that it would last longer. And you get this word, fleeting. It's fleeting. It's it's fleeting if that's the end in mind. So we're going to pick up in Ecclesiastes. Today we're going to go through all 18 verses in Ecclesiastes 1. That's not a promise that we're going to be able to hit every verse on Sunday morning. But I hope that you, as an individual, you and your family, maybe you at work, in your small group, uh, will dive into this book over the next few months. The words of the teacher, son of David, so we know this is Solomon, king in Jerusalem. And here's verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And i got to be honest with you, in the first service, this is what I call, this is terrible, but the first service I called the old people service. And they were, man, they were trekking with me in this message. They're like, yes, this is so good, you give it to the young generation. I'm saying, I'm kind of interested in what the 10 o'clock service is going to do. But then in our hangover service, <laughs> at 11.30, they're going to read Ecclesiastes 1 and be like, man, I wish I would have read that last night. Would have saved me this morning, that's for sure. (laughs) But we said this is an empty life apart from God. Apart from a relationship with Him. Utter emptiness. So verse 3 asks this great question. What do people gain? But another way, if you're Bible, I love to write the word advantage. What advantage does a person have? Right? From all their labors. From all this that we're doing here under the sun. What's our gain? What's our advantage at which they toil? I love the word toil. The word toil actually means grueling. You're going to see that as a theme throughout this book. That life is challenging under the sun. It can be very grueling. So what's the point here upon this earth? What are we toiling for? And what's the advantage we have as we go through it? And then verse 4 is going to set up the next few verses. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And what Solomon's going to do is he's going to begin painting this picture of the earth as a grind. And we're going to talk about the cycles, the patterns of life. And Psalm 90 and verse 10 says that we're born into this. We have 70 years, maybe 80 if your strength endures, but those years are filled with sorrow and anguish. We're gone and the earth remains forever. I was invited this week to participate in a small gathering of people passionate about marriage and family. I'm grateful for the Kathy family at Chick-fil-A, the Lord's chicken. Uh, <laughs> Bubba Kathy uh, has a heart for marriage, and he always has. And so he invited about 60, 70 of us together at Windshape there outside of Atlanta uh, to talk marriage and family. And uh, I was there uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and on Thursday I was getting a cup of coffee, and as I walked by there were four old guys sitting there. And... Uh, You would have walked by, I walked by, too intimidated to step into the group because, like my son Carson, huge NBA fan, so like if if Giannis and Luca and Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas, no, not Isaiah Thomas, somebody else were sitting right here, my son would be like, man, if I could get in that group right there and talk, that's what this group was to me. 
just like the, uh, the marriage and family gurus around deal. And so I just was going to keep to myself and walk by, and one of the guys said, hey, Ted, join us. I think I will. And so I sat down at the deal. And because I have a mouth on me, this is my inner voice when I'm in a, a, a group that I'm intimidated with. I just sat there the whole time going, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Don't say, my inner voice, don't say anything, don't say anything. They don't need you. Just, just sit here, listen, 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 listen. One of the guys was a consultant to Chick-fil-A, helping them transition the company from the second generation to the third generation. And I sat there for an hour. I learned so much. Uh, just keeping my mouth shut, which I think could be a good lesson for all of us as we go through Ecclesiastes. It, uh, mouth closed, ears open. And, and at the end, they invited me in. I go, I only have one question about this generation two to generation three stuff. I go, will they be changing the sauce? I said, uh, that's all I had to add to the conversation. I said, because generations come and generations go, but Chick-fil-A sauce remains forever. Let's not touch the Chick-fil-A sauce. And I was studying this, this whole text, chapter 1, and, and this movie that has, has uh, had an impact on my life, and I know many others in this room, deep, profound, it's Iron Man 2. And... Uh, and I'm always looking for this theme, and I don't know if you remember this scene in the movie, but I grabbed onto it when Tony's under house arrest. I think it's house arrest. I don't know what you'd call it, but he's not allowed to leave his home. Uh, and he starts watching reels of his dad, Howard, and his dad's doing commercials on these reels and talking about Stark Industries and all of that, and then you think the reel's over, and then Howard steps back on and says, Tony, well, I get chills thinking about it, because I don't know if you're doing videos for your kids after you're gone. Uh, I am. I'm going to have a lot of them, a lot of them. I'm going to give them to a close friend who, after my death, is going to release them to my kids every few weeks or every few months, is my plan. Uh, and I'm doing it now. And that's what I felt. And I got it kind of from Iron Man too. like, what a brilliant idea. And, and, and my videos, you imagine, will have some humor. I'll be like, Carson, he's speaking again from the grave. But he says, I'm limited by the technology of my time. But you're going to learn some things. And what I want you to see is generations come and generations go. Technology changes. I, I'm kind of at that season where my kids, I'm going to be an empty nester, and then I have my parents. But, you know, every generation looks to the past generation and be like, y'all are ignorant. Don't we? We look to our parents. I, I, I last night was at a gathering to show my kids something. I wanted to show them a video I saw. It took me 15 minutes to find it on my phone. And my kids are like, we're at that place. We're like, give, give me your phone. Let me do it. And, uh, but we tend to look at the older generations. Let me tell you, the, the older generations in here have learned some things that I've not experienced yet. And it would do me well to sit around and listen. Because they've learned some things I haven't experienced. But what we're going to see in chapter 1 is... What I experience, I might think is brand new or that I've come up with something, something brand new. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And then he jumps into this cycle. He's going to give three word pictures from nature in verses 5 through 7. The sun rises, the sun sets, and it hurries back to the place from which it came. Okay? The wind blows to the south, turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. And you and I are a part of that thinking, oh, we've got something new. Oh, we're experiencing something no one else has experienced. We're going to do... Nope. Verse 7 keeps going. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come from. There they return again. This is a pattern and cycle in life. And what is Solomon trying to say? Not much changes. 
If you think your generation is experiencing something another generation has not, not much changes from generation to generation. And that's what leads him to verse 8. When he says, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. Solomon's going to give us this idea that this becomes actually a burden to think, then why are we toiling under the sun? What is the purpose of all this labor and work if we're not going to make an impact? Well, we said, the, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And he's here speaking of temporal things that we pursue and that appetite we have to go after them. And the older you get, the more you realize there's no meaning and purpose with those if that's the end. And sometimes it takes years to figure that out. And hopefully we don't have to wait years. We can let the Bible teach us and understand these patterns and cycles in life. Nothing new under the sun. Verse 10 said, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was already here. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who followed them. Wow, this is a, this is a tough teaching. Uh, we, we probably would understand by buildings and names on buildings. You've walked through buildings with names on them your whole life, and you don't have a clue who that person is. At college, I walked through the, the dining hall. Two names were on it. I didn't know who those people were. And we're going to read this again in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The memory's forgotten. Even their name is forgotten. We go to great lengths to remember people's names, but ultimately they will be forgotten. That is an empty pursuit if that is the end in mind. Amy and I uh, are on a presidential museum library tour. And last week we were able to go to uh, George W. Bush's uh, library in uh, Dallas and walked in beautiful facility there on the campus of SMU and uh, I was choked up immediately uh, all the feels going on in that tour but you walk into 9-11 and I just remember all of that but the way it was organized and laid out and I mean I sat there and watched the movie and then we moved from there into the Oval Office it's a perfectly scale model of the Oval Office and then you had this feeling of like power and all that and it was interesting because I came out to take a picture of the building I should have brought the picture today to show you, but the sun was going down behind the building, and as I stepped back to take a picture of the George W. Bush Museum and Library, when I got back to the hotel that night and was scrolling through it, the sun was coming back. It was so backlit, I couldn't read the words on the building. And I'm like, what a reality for all of us. George W. Bush will be a hard name to forget. Any of the presidents in recent history is going to be a hard name to forget. But we're, we're seeing here that ultimately, if that's your pursuit, making a name, he says, no, it, it, even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And so verse 12, he gets into, I, te- I the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. So most believe, most scholars believe this. We would call it like a memoir or an autobiography. He's looking back on his life, what he did and what he watched others do. He's like, I just saw a lot of meaningless pursuit. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, that was meaningless. What I did there, that was meaningless. What I did there, that was for me, that was for my pursuit. It's not about me. It's not about you. That our pursuit and purpose would be Christ and then bring meaning to everything we do and bring gratefulness for all the good gifts in life. He said, 
when I did this, all that is done under the heavens, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Verse 14. I have seen all things that are done under the sun, all of them meaningless. And now he adds this idea of chasing after the wind. That so many people putting so much energy into this pursuit to get to the end and go, this was not it. And then verse 15 is this axiom. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And the idea here is that human effort and action cannot remedy the irregularities of life that we see. It's going to keep on going when I'm gone. So there's more to this life than what is under the sun. My chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Verse 16. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 17. Then I applied myself to understanding of this, of this wisdom, and also madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. No matter how much I study, no matter how much I learn, I'm not going to fix the patterns and irregularities of life. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And that's why he ends with this verse 18. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And there are some senior adults in here right now. I hear it from you all the time. You look around at those younger than you shaking your head, going, I wish they would just get it. And and don't you say this all the time. Look at all the Treasure Lake people. That's right. I'm heading back to the fifth wheel. I'll contemplate this whole thing. But sometimes we shake our head at them going, what? I just wish they'd learn this. And here's the reality. There are seniors in here. You've experienced and learned, and you want to pass that on. I know I do. I could save you a lot of heartache right now if you just get this. And that's the, you get this idea of sorrow and grief. I see the road you're on. I see the way you're pursuing life for you, making a name for you, make as much money as you can. It's all about you. And this can bring great sadness to the heart. But the opposite, gladness of the heart, joy, which is found throughout this entire book, is when we put our hope in Christ. Fear God, keep His commandments, and our joy comes from the Lord. And now when I eat or drink in marriage, in relationships, chapter 4 that we'll get to, whatever the seasons bring us, chapter 3, no matter what I'm going through, no matter who I'm with, no matter what I have, all of it can be enjoyed because ultimately my purposes are found in Christ. So when I pray tonight and thank the Lord for our meal, it's not just thank you for this food, amen. I, I quote the scripture. Uh, we receive this with thanksgiving. Uh, this week, as I was studying this on Thursday, I had no idea what was about to hit me. It was a very sacred echo week for me. And I, I was studying in, in my room, and then I went back to dinner, and after dinner we went to a chapel. And uh, at chapel we sat around... Uh, and one of the legends in marriage and family space, the name probably very few people in here will know. His name's Bill Loki. He's a therapist that we all love and, and God has used to minister to the next generation of marriage and family uh, speakers and authors and all of that. And uh, Bill Loki came to this gathering and when I saw him in the afternoon, I didn't recognize him. And that night, he and his closest friend in life, Bob Goff, uh, sat down 
and just spend an hour talking about Bill and Bob's excellent adventure. And the reason I didn't recognize Bill is because that's what four rounds of chemotherapy will do to you. And Bill had come to say goodbye to us. Uh, he was diagnosed a couple of years ago, and the doctors have given him a couple of months. And, uh, and man, I didn't have any Kleenex on me, and I was just a mess. Bill decided that he didn't want his funeral after he died. He wanted to be a part of it. So he had his memorial service, and he was there in person. And I go, what a great idea, so I'm going to do the same. Uh, again, shows at 3 and 7.30. Uh, come and we're going to have a ball. And you can imagine Bill sitting there sharing. No one was asking Bill, hey, how many books did you sell? Bill, how much money did you make? Bill, how many people did you do? That? How many... It's at that moment sitting there listening to a man at the end of his life, doctors telling him, hey, make sure you spend Christmas with your family because that's the last one. Uh, everything. Everything in that moment makes sense. Everything. The stuff we're pursuing, the stuff, this is what, here's what I really found funny. The things we were talking about that morning, <laughs> I couldn't care less what we were all going after. And he's at that age, oh, I can't wait to be there, where he would pause because, you know, what chemo does to the mind and everything. He'd go, hey, Bob, why don't you talk for a little bit while I think about what I want to say next. I'm like, oh. And, and he wanted, before he left this life under the sun, uh, to go to Bob's place in British Columbia. And Bob has a lodge in British Columbia, and I, I've heard a lot of guys that have gone there, a lot of men and women who've gone there. And, and when you show up to his lodge, there's a dock, and it can be five people showing up at the lodge. And Bob Goff, if you've read any of his books, you know, he's got a full-on marching band, like dressed fully out there doing their thing for those five. It's very intimidating when you show up. And Bill wanted to get out there to it, and, he's, and he lives on the water in British Columbia. He's coming across on the ferry, he and Lori, and, uh, and the music is playing. They hear it as they get closer. This is going to be the best day of my life. And there's like 20, 30 people on it. And Bob's the first one out front doing all of this dancing stuff. And, uh, and Bill stepped off the boat onto the dock and <laughs> whispered in Bob's ear, this is, this is what I'm preparing for right here. As he was comparing life on earth to life in heaven, he says, uh, pretty soon I'll be stepping off the dock or stepping off the boat onto the dock. And he says, that's all, that's all this transition is. And he says at the end, and he's telling all of us, all these young whippersnappers going, what I've learned now, the reality is, uh, life with Jesus and a few close friends, that's it. I wish you guys would learn that now and not at the end. I wish you'd live now with the end in mind rather than get to the end and realize, hmm, this isn't a series about regret, because there's some in here, 60, 70, maybe in their 80s, who it's been a lot about you, but that your end in mind, your end in mind would be just exactly what Bill's saying. Man, the joy this man has, the joy he has. I left there, I, I, I told my buddy as we got in a shuttle to go back to our rooms, I said, we just went to the house of mourning. We're going to read this when we get to Ecclesiastes 7, but I want to show it to you now. Ecclesiastes 7, 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. When you go to a funeral, all that we're talking about 
the 12 weeks in this series, you, talk, you think about all of that as you sit there. As you take to heart the death of a loved one, you're thinking about your life. And we don't want you to wait for the next funeral to think about your life. We want you to think about it right now. What's your end in mind? Is it you? Is it your job? Is it your money? Is it your house? Is it the degree you're pursuing? No, don't let it be the end in mind. It can be part of the pursuit, but let your pursuit be Christ and your purpose be Christ and bring meaning to all of that. We do not want you to live a meaningless life. I go back to the room, I pray, I, I read over this again going, okay, my son was going to pick me up in Kansas City Airport the next day and man, I was going to have some conversations with him uh, about life and he had no idea what he was getting ready to get as I walked out of that terminal. Uh, I was in the house of mourning. But before I got to Carson, you want to talk about how the Lord works. Uh, I shared this story earlier this year, but my, the gentleman who I was called to ministry under, Dr. James Merritt, in Atlanta, and uh, I met him for the first time after 25 years, but I was called to ministry at Liberty University under his ministry while he was there doing a, a weekend workshop. And I stepped onto an elevator in Charleston, South Carolina, and I saw him for the first time. And Again, it would be like my son stepping onto the elevator with Michael Jordan or Giannis or Luca, and I stepped on, and I was like, and I couldn't put two sentences together. And he's like, are you okay? Can we help you? Uh, And I said, said, Dr. Merritt, I was called to ministry under you, and I I, I wrote you once to say thank you, and now I get to do it face-to-face. Thank you, and I do all this, and he's like, man, and I was getting ready to go do comedy for him and his group, and uh, I... I get up, and I'm like, hey, guys, I just want to start my... And they're like, this is the worst comedian ever. And uh, I get to Atlanta Airport. This is true. I get to Atlanta Airport. I'm not exaggerating like some preachers do. Uh, There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people waiting to go through TSA. I mean, it was one of those things, lines backed up to a hallway, they break the line, they start it again there, they break it, they start it again there. And I go to pre-check, and it's it's, it's, it's long lines. And I'm like, oh, it's going to take forever. I get through, I'm a little exasperated, I'm putting my belt on, because, you know, you get naked before the security thing, you get dressed on the other side of security. I'm putting my belt on, and I look over, and Dr. James Merritt is standing right there. And it was like, oh. and I go, Dr. Merritt. And he goes, Ted. And I go, oh, he knows my name. <laughs> I said, uh, yeah, I go, we met in, in April, and I was called to meet. Ted, I know, I know. I have you speaking at, at my mountaintop event. I'm speaking. He does an event here in, in Branson, and we, we talk it. But I'm shaking. I'm, so, I'm just shaking around him. And this is, and this, he ends, he grabs my face. Like, we're at the TSA line at the Atlanta airport. He grabs my face with both hands. And I'm sitting there going, okay, here it is. I'm going to get the blessing right here at TSA (laughs) with my pants. I don't know if they're fully zipped, but I'm going with this. I'm 100% going with this. You know what he says to me with his hands on my face? He says, hey, Ted. And he goes like this. And I go, yes, give it to me, give it to me. He goes, don't die before next year. That's all. That's all I got. And he's gone. I'm still standing there. All right. So this, Amy's like, I had no idea. She didn't know any of this until after last service. Yeah, I was just too emotional to talk about all of it because I don't want to wait for a house of mourning to have a, a heart of wisdom. I want to learn all of this now. 
I want to, I want to live for what really matters. I want to live with the end in mind. And after we said our goodbyes to Bill and, and gathered around him and prayed over him, we worshiped together. Ugh. I, I don't know about you, but I think I've had a hard time in praying and worshiping lately. I get pretty emotional. But uh, three rows behind Bill uh, to, to see him like this, worshiping. And then we sing this song that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to sing, but then I'm probably going to have to just say it. Bill is standing there, soon to step off the boat onto the dock. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I can't think of a better way to just for us to end in worship that you and I get up in the morning. I did that in the first service, and it was terrible. And they said, why don't we bring someone out to help you with that, Ted? You did great, Ted. Take it, man. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me In all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God oh I will sing of the goodness of God Amen. Hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you next week.